welcome back to the lone conservative. That was a that was a big pause. I'm sorry, I had like a, a cough. I, I got a cough coming there. <laughs> but thank you so much for everyone for tuning in once again to give you some context for today's episode. If you hear some background noise or echoing, I am filming in my basement because I have been kicked down to the depths of the house since someone's redecorating my parents' bathroom, and I'm being a college student, I'm at home for the holidays. I know I said I was going to make an episode last week, a year year review of 2018, but I decided not to do it. I was tired after New Year's, and I just, I you know, I didn't feel like it. I, I Everyone else took the day off, I'm going to take the day off, but today I've got a really awesome episode planned. It's, it's going to be a little different. So usually I have some pre-planned topics. The only pre-planned topic I have is the Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez dancing quote-unquote controversy. It's, it's really not a controversy. I'll get into it more later. But aside from that, I, I really don't have any set topic for today. Uh, so I think I'm going to discuss more broad, generalized issues than specific news cycle issues. And I've actually gotten a request for that. Uh, recently. So I'm going to give it a shot. We'll see how it goes. But before I start today, as you all know, I do a podcast for the magnificent outlet Lone Conservative. Now, of course, this outlet would be nothing without my amazing talents and without my graces and, and, and just without my benevolence. It would be nothing. It would be nothing. If I weren't at Lone Conservative, it wouldn't be Lone Conservative. But I am at Lone Conservative, which makes it the best outlet in the world. It makes it the best conservative outlet in the United States. So not only do we have the best conservative outlet in the United States, we also have the number one conservative podcast, this one. <laughs> so Lone Conservative being an outlet for college kids, it provides opportunities to kids to, uh, I, I guess you could say young adults at this point, to network, to get their names out there, to help build a, a philosophical background, to help build an ideological background. And one of the ways we help people do that is by sending college kids to CPAC. Now, last year, I don't know the exact numbers because I'm not a nerd, but <laughs> last year, I believe Lone Conservative sent about 25 to 35 contributors to CPAC. I don't, again, don't know the exact number. I know it was a lot. And we did that partially through a GoFundMe campaign in which we raised funds. The issue is that a lot of kids, either their their clubs at their schools don't provide all the funding that they need to go to CPAC, or they're not in a club to go to CPAC, so we help them go there, and we help them experience the true glories of CPAC. Now, what is CPAC? It stands, it stands for, I think, Conservative Political Action Conference. It's basically a conference that takes place once a year in D.C. It's like conservative Woodstock. <laughs> uh, it, essentially, all of the best speakers, all of the most prominent pundits, thought leaders, politicians show up to speak, network. It's a really good opportunity for people to see what conservatism is all about to some extent. And it's a really good opportunity to network as well. I know uh, some of my college Republicans last year were able to network with people like Alex Stuckey, were able to network with a few other commentators. So I, I'm the president of my, UNC, uh, of my uh, college chapter of college Republicans. So that's what I mean by some of my people. But it, it was a really fun experience. It's always really fun. And Lone Conservative is so gracious for giving people the opportunity to go to CPAC who otherwise wouldn't be able to go. If you want to help college kids who are in their most formative years, 
Go to CPAC. You can donate to the Lone Conservative GoFundMe, which can be found on Lone Conservative's Twitter and Cassie Dillon's Twitter account. Uh, it's, it's very easy. Also, you can just search in, type in Lone Conservative GoFundMe on Facebook, and it'll pop up basically right away. Please go give whatever you can. Even a dollar helps. If, and listen, if I can just get $5 from my own podcast audience, put put in after you give. I'm here from the Lone Conservative Podcast, so if I somehow get people giving like $10,000, I can brag to everyone and be like, hey guys, hey guys, look what I did. So, <laughs> I'm, so I'm hyper today. I had like two cups of coffee. So, go do that, please. We'd really appreciate it. It really does help a lot. And as I always say, Let's just jump right into it today. So, I believe it was a few days ago at this point, video leaked of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez when she was in high school dancing. So, what's the controversy behind this? I really don't know. But to give you some of the background, basically, a lot of people on the left were accusing conservatives of making a fuss over Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez dancing in high school. Now, I would play the video for you like I usually do, but it's literally just music. You wouldn't be able to see it, but she's doing these goofy high school dances, and I honestly think it makes her seem pretty personable. But some people were able to find that video, they dug it up, and they tried to make a big deal about it on Twitter. They tried to make it seem like something scandalous, which it objectively wasn't. So Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and the mainstream media took to social media and took to Twitter saying that this is just indicative of the right's moral prudence. It's, it's, it's how could they mind someone dancing? This just makes Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez seem likable. What, what do conservatives, why do conservatives have a stick up their butt? Now I will admit, okay, I'm the first one to admit that a lot of trad cons have sticks up their butts, but there were literally no conservatives who were making a legitimate issue over this dancing video. Basically, what happened was there's this conspiracy group that, that centers around this figure called QAnon. I don't know a lot about it. I basically know, that, that though, that, that the group basically thinks that I think QAnon is some inside government insider government official that leaks information to them about the deep state. So... <laughs> Some QAnon conspiracy theorists found this video, brought it up, and made a big deal about it. Not mainstream conservatives, not Ted Cruz conservatives, not even the traditional trad cons. Weirdo conspiracy theorists made an issue with her dancing on, for a video in high school. A dance which again makes her seem likable. And the mainstream media and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez tried to turn that around and make it about conservatives. For example, Newsweek published an article that had a title something like, that was something like, uh, conservatives make an issue over Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's dance video. Except in the article that Newsweek wrote, they couldn't name a single legitimate conservative who was actually making issue over this. Now, of course, some conservatives, as is popular on conservative Twitter, memed the video. Of course, some conservatives poked jokes at the video. But the people who were legitimately raising issues about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez dancing in high school were weirdo conspiracy theorists. All right? You can ex I, I know people on the left who say that the right is unnecessarily obsessed with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And I've even seen, said on this podcast, I've said here, that we shouldn't be focusing so much energy into her. But at the same time, don't, don't try to claim that it's conservatives being driven mad by a dance video when it's conspiracy theorists making the main issue. Conspiracy theorists who really aren't aligned with the mainstream conservative movement. But Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez 
did something very smart. So a few of the tweets that made issue with the video went viral, and they were quickly ratioed. But Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, I've said this on the program before, I'll say it again, I've said it to many people before and they never believe me, yes, when I say Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is politically inept, when I say politically, until unless I say otherwise, assume that I am referring to her ability to craft and sponsor good policy, okay? So politically, she may be inept. Politically, I think she's not a very smart person. However, in terms of savviness, in terms of being able to manipulate the political system, not, now this isn't policy-wise, but it's just playing politics. In terms of political savviness, she is one of the best politicians out there right now, especially one of the best new politicians. So what Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez did after these conspiracy theorists were bringing up issues with her dancing in high school was very smart. She tweeted out, quote, I hear the GOP thinks women dancing are scandalous. Wait till they find out Congress women dance too. Have a great weekend. Okay. And then she uh, she she played the I think it was like War What Is It Good For song and she danced along to it for 10 seconds. This is very smart. So not only did the QAnon conspiracy theorist group get played as they usually do. But Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was able to turn the problems of a fringe group around and pin it to the entire GOP. Now, sure, a lot of people on the right, most people on the right, aren't falling for this BS. But you know who is falling for it? Her base. People who maybe aren't a part of her base, but are sympathetic to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. People who were on the fence about her, and now this makes her seem more likable. She was able to turn this around masterfully, not only play the conspiracy theorists, but play the broader GOP who had no involvement in this whatsoever. She is one of the most politically savvy politicians out there, and continuing to underestimate her is going to be at our own detriment. Now, I know I said in the last episode that I would not really be wasting my time on her, that I wouldn't really be talking about her, that this, it's its not worth it. It's just not worth it. But here's the issue. She's gone from being someone who is considered the new political thing by the left to, and, and not only was she, I, I said this, I acknowledged this in the last episode I talked about her, not only has she also gone from sort some sort of new generation political leader, she at this point is the focal point, the head of this new leftist ideology of the, of the younger generation. So it's getting harder and harder to not talk about her the more and more the left props her up. And they're, they're claiming that the left is only propping her up because she drives the right insane. And honestly, I think that's partially true. But the issue is they propped her up significantly far before she was really driving the right insane. I think now that they see she can drive the right insane, they're really putting more of their chips on her. They're, they're really betting on her more. But before she was driving the right insane, they were still propping her up. They were still calling her the next generation of congresswoman. They were still calling her the newest leader in, in, in the next generation of political movement. So I, I don't want to talk about her that much. I don't want to focus on her too much because I do think there are some people on the right who she drives unjustifiably mad because they let her take free real estate in their head. But at the same time, I, I know I said this before, but I, I just can't avoid talking about her every single second because at this point, what she does, uh, uh, some of the things she does at least, have major cultural implications, have major political implications, and it's that's only going to increase over time if she continues to drive the right insane as she has. It's, it's listen, 
Usually, new political players, we've seen it before, usually new political players who are hot right off the presses, who have a lot of support coming in, people say they're the next generation, if the right doesn't pay much attention to them, they die out pretty fast. I mean, of course, they still have a lot of clout, but the mainstream media and the left really stop putting all of their money on them. But Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, she keeps finding new ways, whether it's when she says something stupid or she does something politically savvy, to drive the right insane and the left loves it because we have entered an age of politics where it's not about substance anymore, it is about trolling the other side. Donald Trump, as much as I like some of his conservative policy, but I have been, I've been critical on his, some of his economic and fiscal policy, but as much as, as I like a lot of his, his policy so far, Donald Trump was mainly elected because he was a counterpuncher, because he was someone who drove the left insane, because as Ben Shapiro often points out, Republicans saw that the Democrats called Mitt Romney evil when Mitt Romney was one of the most nice, kind, genuine people to run for political office ever. So they're like, why not just pick Donald Trump? Why not pick the guy who counterpunches? Why not pick the guy who's, who's, who's a pig when it comes to women, whose character is in question? All right, so the, the right mainly picked Trump. Now they're going, I think that they're going to stick with him in 2020 because not only because he's a counterpuncher, but because of, of a lot of the conservative policies put forward. But a lot of Republicans initially chose him because they were sick of being trolled all the time. They were sick of being held to a double standard, so they wanted to troll back. And now the left is trying to hit back twice as hard with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. The difference between Trump and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is just in terms of pure political savviness, not policy, but in terms of pure political savviness, in terms of how they manipulate the political system, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, in my opinion, as of right now, seems more capable. That's dangerous. All right. So moving on, I don't want to talk about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez anymore. I'm done. I'm done. Okay. Uh, I don't know why I did a Trump impression there. I'm tired, guys. And I'm hyper at the same time. Two cups of coffee. Okay. (laughs) I wanted to talk about kind of a general subject that a lot of conservatives I've noticed either shy away from or they show resolute unconditional defense of police officers. Now, before I start this topic, I want to say first off that I'm by no means an expert. This is just my layman's opinion. I also want to say that overall I support the blue, but that doesn't mean supporting the blue and standing with police officers in 99 or 95 or whatever, however many times they're right, percent of cases, does not mean that you can't acknowledge that there does need to be some reform to the system. Now, I'm not someone who personally thinks that that reform has to be based on, along racial lines. I really don't think racial killings are, are the institutional widespread problem that many people try to say they are. And there's also been no proof that the implicit bias training or even the explicit... The, the, I'll say this. There's been no proof that the implicit bias training that police officers have received to try and tone back the quote-unquote implicit bias the left claims white police officers have actually works. There's there's literally no proof that it actually does anything, that it actually works, that it changes behavior at all. There's no proof that they even have implicit bias to begin with, which is also part of the issue. But that doesn't mean that there can't be any reforms. And what I've thought for a while and what I've said before, but I don't usually go off about it a lot, 
Because number one, I don't get many opportunities. And number two, I know many people on the right, I think it's a mistake to feel undying loyalty to the police. And what I mean by undying loyalty is I understand they are public servants. I understand they go out there every day and they risk their lives for us. And I am extremely, extremely appreciative of that. Okay, I want to preface that first. However, the undying loyalty comes in where even if, even if, and it's happened a few times, you have a police officer shoot someone in the back as they're running away, someone out there is going to try and justify it. Someone on the right out there is going to try and justify it. It's gotten to the point now where many on the right will try and outright deny that police corruption is a problem in cases where it's obviously a problem, that there was malfeasance. You'll always see a lot of people try to justify it. And whether it's a lot or a little bit, you'll always see people either uncomfortable calling police out when they deserve called out. You'll see people uncomfortable calling for reforms that would quite frankly be good. Like there's, I really can't see a drawback to them. One of the reforms that the left has suggested, which I don't necessarily disagree with, is that Police, when possible, should be equipped with body cams. I don't, and I think a lot of people on the right have started to come around to this way of thinking, have started to come around to this idea, but I don't see why there's been resistance to it. And there has been resistance to it, and I don't see why. It's, 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 listen, we are the side that is supposed to hold government accountable. We are the side that is supposed to be skeptical of government. And even though I am appreciative of what the police do, even though I think 99.9% of police officers out there are good people, even though I think they're, they, even if they make mistakes, they're trying to do the right thing. That doesn't mean that I don't, I'm not skeptical of them at the same time. That doesn't mean that I'm not skeptical of the few that are going to abuse their power, and that doesn't mean that we don't need safeguards against the people who are going to abuse their power. Now, the reason I bring this up, and I told you I'd be jumping around from from topic to topic today, is because there was a video recently posted on Twitter by Greg Duchette, or Dosette, I I don't know. I don't know how to pronounce his name. I'm sorry. Uh, It's... I'll basically read the tweet and then I'll play the video. There's some audio to it that's kind of disturbing, so feel free not to listen. It involves a dog getting hurt. Mr. Duchette tweets, quote, In tonight's criminal justice news, Faulkner County Sheriff's Deputy Keenan Wallace demanded to speak with a homeowner. When the man refused, Wallace decided to shoot a nine-pound chihuahua in the face for sport. Now, I believe, I mean, the the chihuahua, before I play the video, is still alive. It was hurt. Its jaw was apparently broken. uh, But it was shot with a taser, not a gun, which I thought it was shot with a gun at first. This is still complete police malfeasance. It's complete police malpractice. I can understand police shooting a pit bull, a German shepherd, a huge, uh, I almost cursed, a a huge dog that's running at at them, that's being overly aggressive. But if you watch this video, the chihuahua's barking and growling, but it's being a small, yappy dog. Okay, I have a small, yappy dog. It is being a small, yappy dog. It is not posing a direct threat to this officer. This officer clearly shot uh, shot the dog in the face with the taser, or whatever he shot it in the face with, because he, he wasn't pleased with the homeowner not complying with his commands, which to the best of my, my knowledge, the homeowner had n- no obligation to, at that point, comply with the officer, what, what the officer was asking of him. And it's very heart-wrenching to watch. I'm not actually going to play the video because I, I just listened to the video again. There was a little cut, cut in between there. I, I listened to the video again. The audio is not exceptionally clear. Uh, and by that, I mean, it's you really hear the two people arguing and then you hear the dog yelp, yelping, but it's kind of muffled. Uh, it, 
it's it's not worth playing. But I will say this: this behavior from the police is unacceptable. And my friend, I, I can't give her real name, but her name on Twitter is at wv Esquiris. Uh, she's from West Virginia. She wrote a really good article on this topic. And I wanted to read it for you because, I listen, she's on the left, and me and her argue all the time. And it's fun because she's a very civil debater, and she's a very witty, intelligent person. She's an amazing attorney. I wanted to read her article on on another police topic just to show that we do need some reform in this system. So here's her article. It's titled Incentive to Kill. Now, usually when you see articles from people on the left about police brutality or police malfeasance, it goes into an unfair attribution of violence and corruption and racism to all cops. And one of the reasons why I like, I'll call her M, uh, because that's that's what she decides to call herself online, is because she doesn't do that. She acknowledges the need for reform, but at the same time understands the the plight that the other officers responding to this issue were in and understands why this are, I'll read more, I'll give you background, but understands why this officer was fired but at the same time acknowledges that it might have not been the right course of action and that we possibly need reform. So here's what she wrote. Quote, After every widely publicized shooting of a civilian by a police officer, someone asks why de-escalation techniques aren't used more. Why is lethal force seemingly the go-to? An article published by ProPublica on November 29th offers one frightening explanation. It could cost the officer his or her career. R.J. Williams was a 23-year-old black man, father of one and sibling to six, and a resident of the town of Warrington, West Virginia. Warrington, West Virginia. Sorry, folks. On May 6, 2016, he wanted to die. That's what the, his girlfriend told the 911 operator when she called. The Willi- that Williams, the father of her child, was drunk, carrying an unloaded gun, and hoping to go to police officer into shooting him. The call went and... Sp- went out to Wharton Police, a 25-year-old Marine veteran and State Police Academy graduate, probationary patrolman Stephen Mader was nearby and responded. The dispatcher advised Mader to be on the lookout for a weapon. She did not tell Mader that the gun was unloaded or about the subject's plan for suicide by cop. Nevertheless, when Mader arrived on the scene, he assessed the situation and determined that Williams was not a threat. He saw the gun in Williams' hand, but it was pointed at the ground. The plainly distraught man repeatedly implored, just shoot me, and refused Mader's commands to put the gun down. Officer Mader didn't want to shoot him, and he told him so. Within two to three minutes, as Mader continued to try and soothe the man and de-escalate the situation, two other Wareton PD officers skidded onto the scene, nearly crashing their cruisers into each other in their excitement. Within ten seconds of their arrival, Williams was shot in the head and killed. The officer who shot him did so when Williams moved toward the officers, gun raised and pointed and swinging uh, alternately between them. The officer who killed him fired four shots and missed Williams with the first three. The ProPublica article gives a very in-depth account of what happened in the aftermath, but the long and short of it was was this. Mater's department and fellow officers turned on him for not firing his gun. He was ostracized, harassed by the officer who did shoot, called a coward, and ultimately terminated from his employment from the negligence of not shooting the suspect. Mater himself will not refute that. Under the circumstances, the officer who did shoot Williams acted justly. Just inside the house was a woman and her small child. The man was advancing toward her, uh, toward officers, gun aimed and appearing at the ready. At the point, at that point, they had no idea that the gun was empty. 
The 911 operator didn't tell them that, and they didn't know Williams of Williams's intent to die, though Mater had surmised as much. Mater refused to provide a statement in support of Williams's family's view that the shooting was unjustified for the lawsuit they intended to file. But Mater believed that his firing from the department was wrong. He didn't take an officer. He didn't think an officer should be punished for refusing to take a life. After consulting with somewhere around 20 lawyers, unwilling to take his case, Mater found some in Pittsburgh who would. So, before we continue with this article here, I want to say this, okay? Because I know I'm talking about the need for officer reform, for different training. The officers who shot the man who was waving an unloaded gun at them because they didn't know it was unloaded, and the 911 operator failed to convey... If anyone should lose their job here, it should be the 911 operator who failed to convey that the gun was unloaded. The officers who shot the man because they thought the gun was loaded and he was waving their gun around, they just arrived at the scene, they were justified in shooting him, okay? I'm not going after the officers for sh- for shooting him in what they deemed as self-defense. What I am going after the police department for was firing a man for following his veteran instincts that this man wanted to die, he wanted to commit suicide, and he wasn't an overt threat to them. The fact that he, this, this veteran, Mater, wasn't willing to shoot when this guy's gun was aimed at the at the ground, when he wasn't overtly threatening him and thus he deemed him not a threat he was it was clear he was distraught and wanted to die that should not be held against an officer an officer trying to find a nonviolent solution and then it have it being escalated between him and other off or between the suspect and other officers once the situation escalates shouldn't be held against the officer who was trying to de-escalate the situation if that makes sense all right th- this is the issue this is i i understand that this may not be a, an issue with every single police department but I do think there has to be some sort of situation, system in place that before a situation overtly escalates to the man pointing the gun at other officers, before it escalates to that point, an officer who is trying to de-escalate the situation when, again, the gun is clearly pointed at the ground should not be punished for trying to de-escalate the situation. He shouldn't be punished for trying to find a nonviolent way out. He shouldn't be punished for following his instincts and knowing when a man wants to commit suicide. All right, that's what I'm saying. So I'm not judging the cops who shot the man. I am judging the police department for firing a veteran cop for following his instincts and and for trying to de-escalate a situation before it it escalated to the point where the man was pointing guns at cops. That's what's wrong. Is it seems as if in police department they're not trained to protect and serve, not just to protect and serve. But they're also trained as if where they're going out is a battle zone. Where they're going out is a war zone. They should treat you know, the, the, the suspects they encounter, possibly violent ones, as a military encounter. Not as two citizens talking to each other and trying to de-escalate the situation. Now, again, I don't judge cops for, for responding to escalated situations with violence because that is self-defense. But I do have an issue with what, and David French has pointed this out as well, I have an issue with the fact that it seems as if police training revolves around more lethal methods and less nonviolent methods. At the very least, it seems that is the status quo within police departments after training is over. All right, now let's keep reading this article. I really, by the way, I do like reading M's work. She writes for the Ordinary Times. I would go read her stuff. It's really, really good. And listen, if you want a respectful view from the other side, 99.9999999% of the time, M has it, and I really love her work. So, and you should follow her on Twitter, by the way, at WV Esquires. Uh, So let's continue reading this article. 
Quote, the problem with Mater's case was that he was a probationary status officer not covered by civil service protections. The city could fire him for any reason or no reason. And indeed, city officials claimed the firing was not because of Mater's decision not to shoot, but because of other minor incidents during this stint, during his stint with the department. An explanation that doesn't square with the termination letter he received, which explicitly cited the shooting. So here, here's the thing for people, because again, I know there are going to be people out there who try to justify his firing, as we'll see, they, they, it's, they outright said it's not because of his decision not to shoot. All right. Now imagine the same thing happens with the Trump administration or a similar instance. Let's say a, a staffer, I don't know any names, but let, let's say a staffer says something negative about Trump in the media and Trump gets mad at that and fires them. But when he fires them in the letter that he re- in in the letter that he releases after firing them, it doesn't mention that they said anything bad in the media. It just says that oh, I'm not satisfied with your with your work. I don't think you've done a good job. Your services are no longer needed. Are you really going to be? But but the, the it, this only happened just after the person criticized Trump in the media. Do you really think that firing had nothing to do, or would you really think that that firing had nothing to do with that person criticizing Trump? If, if you're a person with political sense, you'd say, of course it has something to do with that. Well, that, that's the same situation here. So I, I, just, I just wanted to continue that. So let, let's continue. Quote, An honest consideration of the facts can leave one torn. On the one hand, Mater did what so many implore. He analyzed the situation, recognized the distraught man, and made a decision to try to end the crisis without bloodshed. He did what we ask of officers. He tried to de-escalate. The decision seems wise in the 2020 vision of hindsight, knowing the gun was unloaded. But imagine it wasn't. Imagine the gun was loaded when Williams pointed it at the officers. Imagine he pulled the trigger, and one or more of those officers did not make it home that night. Because Mater failed to stop the threat when he could have, now imagine being a cop assigned to work with Mater after that, knowing of his perceived failure to act to protect his fellow officers, right or wrong, it is not hard to understand the effect. But who was Mater there to protect? Perhaps it was his co-workers to whom he owed that duty. After all, Williams was the one pointing the gun and creating the perceived danger. Then there was the woman and her child inside the house, and the many other people in the residential neighborhood. They deserved protection, too. Perhaps some would opine that, as a police officer, it was the troubled citizen before him to whom Mater was obligated. This would likely be unpersuasive to grieving families of fallen officers, but it is an idea not completely without merit. In fact, all of the above is true, and that's what makes this story so gut-wrenching and hard to reconcile. Of course we know what Mater's instinct was that Williams was not a threat was correct. But what if it wasn't? But what if the second two officers, rather than flying onto the scene and leaping out to engage the suspect, had come back and assessed the situation? Before they arrived, Mater had the scene calm. He had taken cover behind his vehicle with his weapon aimed at Williams while he tried to persuade the distraught man to drop the gun. It seems the better practice would be to ascertain whether Mater had a handle on things before rushing to confront the suspect. Had the better practice been followed, maybe Williams would be alive and Mater would still be an officer. It often seems that police officers escape consequences for shooting deaths, never mind criminal charges. They are rarely held accountable, to, held to account civilly either. And that is due in large part to the wide protection provided to the doc, by the doctrine of qualified immunity. If it seems that qualified immunity holds officers harmless when they make poor decisions, even if they result in a citizen's death, that is by design. 
In Marcialio v. Sumner, a case out of Maryland, the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals explained the rationale of qualified immunity to protect officers from the consequences of bad guesses in gray areas, unless the officers have, quote, transgressed bright lines of the law. In other words, if an officer arrives on the scene, makes an incorrect guess as to what is going on, and acts on what guesses away that causes harm, he is not to be held accountable for the consequences of his actions. The law protects all, quote, all but plainly incompetent or those who violate, quote, clearly established rights, and rarely is that standard deemed met. So I'm going to stop the article here. You can read the rest at Ordinary Times. It's called, uh, let, me, let me look at the ar- title of the article again because it is a really good article. I did enjoy reading it. It's called Incentive to Kill. I think it does show the need for some sort of reform. And I, the reason I read that article is because M really does come at this issue from an amazing perspective. That every single party in that situation deserved some form of protection, or at least attempted protection. The fellow officers who were arriving on the scene, the, the person who was, who was distraught and wanted to die, and the women and children in, in, in that residential neighborhood and the residential neighborhood themselves, they all deserved some form of protection. Which is why, if a police officer reasonably sees an opportunity, which Mater did, they should try to de-escalate the situation, and they shouldn't be punished for it if the situation escalates out of their control. Especially when, when they take down the suspect, They've, they position themselves like Mater had behind his car in a safe position. It's, it's very sad. It's very sad that I, I think many officers are encouraged, from what I've seen, I may be wrong, okay? If I'm wrong, tell me. I'm not trying to demonize the police, but it, it seems as if officers are encouraged more often than not to take the lethal route rather than the non-lethal route. So I obviously, I think that there needs to be reform with, now listen, I'm not an expert on police issues, but my opinion is that their training needs reform. They need to focus more on de-escalation techniques. They need to, and of course, I'm not saying don't tell officers not to shoot, okay? I'm not saying, I'm not one of those idiots who says, why don't they just shoot him in the leg? Because that puts more people at risk if you miss the shot. Not just because the person's going to fire back, but also because you could hit someone if you miss their leg, which, which is more likely. Okay, but, but I'm saying that, and if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but it seems to me that non-lethal techniques not only need to be less stigmatized, but they need to be focused on more in training. Just as much as lethal techniques and the, both options should be considered to have merit, you shouldn't lose your job if you decide to go non-lethal, de-escalatory over, over lethal. That's just my opinion. Maybe I'm wrong. Listen, again, I, I hate to sound like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez here. I know I ripped on her earlier in the episode, but I am not an expert. Okay, this is just my podcast. I want to give my opinion on the issue. Usually I'd have numbers and stats in front of me, but as I said, I, I kind of had to rush today's episode, so I apologize. This is just my perception of the situation, my raw gut perception and what, I, what I've gotten from analyzing shootings of, of shootings past, or I should say police shootings of police shootings past. All right, and I'm not exclusively siding with perpetrators. I'm not exclusively siding with cops. I'm not saying that lethal methods don't have their merits, and I'm not saying that non-lethal methods, de-escalation methods, are always going to work even a vast majority of the time. I'm just saying I think both hold merit, and I think more we need to focus more on non-lethal de-escalation when we can use it. That's all. All right, I told you guys this episode would be short today. I just, I really wanted to get through those two issues. I thought it was important. I'm sorry if if I was off my game today. Okay, I know you guys usually expect perfection from the chef, but 
<laughs> I'm tired today. There wasn't really a lot in the news for me to analyze. And I, 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 I've had these topics on my mind for a while, especially the, the police reform one. I think I have brought it up on this podcast briefly before. So thank you all for listening, even if you disagree. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please give this podcast a five-star review on iTunes or like the track on SoundCloud. It really does help us a lot. I know a lot of you who listen to the podcast don't give us five-star reviews. Okay, that needs to change. That needs to change. So... Make make sure to subscribe, give five-star reviews, like the tracks, blah, 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 blah. Follow me on Twitter at Real Eric Schaefer. Follow the Lone Conservative Podcast on Twitter at Loco underscore pod. Lone Conservative on Twitter at Low Conservative. And please, as I said in the beginning of the episode, please, every single dollar, every single $5 donation helps. Please, 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 please give something to the Lone Conservative CPAC GoFundMe. We would really greatly appreciate it. And I will love you forever if you do. At me on Twitter if you do. Okay, at me on Twitter if you give. So not only can I rub it in people's faces that I'm getting people to give, but also so I can feel good about myself. Uh, Thank you. Thank you all so much for listening today. I'll see you all again next Monday. Have an amazing one, guys.